We're finishing off a teaching series tonight called Truth and Life. What does the Bible have to do with life today? This has been the journey so far. Week one, we looked at the reader. And what do we bring to the text as we open up the scripture each day? Secondly, the library. That the word Bible from the word Biblos means library. It's not just a book. It's like 66 books pulled together, written by many different authors, many different genres of writing over a very long period of time. These writings took place. So how do we access the treasures um, within the scripture? That was week two. Week three, we looked at what narrative does the Bible tell? Is there an overarching narrative to scripture? And the answer was... Yes, yeah, very good. Some of you remember that. So great. The answer was yes. Week four, we looked at the word. Is the Bible authoritative? And the answer was? Fantastic. That's encouraging. Um, then the, five, the next week, we looked at the lamp. How does the Bible guide our decisions? And this week, we're looking at the bread. Um, more than bread, we're also looking at honey. Because bread is fantastic, honey's fantastic, but put the two together, and that's a serious combination. And we should spend more time talking about bread and honey, which we're going to do this evening. So we're going to look at bread and honey. This was the text from last um, week, Psalm 119, which is the longest of the Psalms. And it's a Psalm that really unpacks the beauty of Scripture. Um, and the Psalmist declares in verse 105, Your word, your truth, is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. But if you go a few verses back to verse 103, the psalmist says this, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I want to introduce you to an ancient tradition. Um, this tradition goes back hundreds of years within the Jewish community. Um, that when you turn up at um, primary school, so imagine a, a Jewish kid, four or five years old, rocking up you know, with their packed lunch. Do you remember that moment? You're like absolutely terrified. Um, you got your little packed lunch and mum and daddy are waving goodbye. Um, day one of primary school. Um, in the Jewish community, that's known as Betzefer, um, which means house of the book. So in primary school, you would read um, the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah. At the end of Betzefer, primary school, you'd essentially have the whole of the Torah memorized by heart. That's amazing, right? Memorized by heart. But day one, before you learn a thing, the teacher um, had an exercise for you to complete. They'd give you a slate. Now, on that slate, you were going to learn to read and write. On that slate, you would learn to draw the Hebrew alphabet, and then the building blocks would begin to emerge, and you'd, you'd begin to sort of like understand different stories of the Torah, and eventually the whole thing was memorized by heart. But your first task when you were given the slate, the teacher would pour honey on the slate, and you had to lick the slate clean. That's a great beginning, right? That's a great beginning to primary school. You're given a slate. You're going to be told you're going to memorize and learn the Torah. But task number one is lick the slate clean from the honey. So these little kids, this amazing sensory experience of like, this is amazing. And the idea is that they'd always remember that what they were doing on this slate, in other words, learning God's, you know, teaching his truth, his law, that would be like honey on their lips. They'll always remember this moment, remember the taste. And as they're learning scripture, it's like, wow, scripture is going to be like honey on my lips, right? So I thought it, it would only be right if we reenact the tradition. Okay, are people up for that? So we're going to have a reading. So Kez, do you want to come? Um, I've invited Kez. She's going to read to us. This is um, 
it's not quite an ancient scroll, but let's use our imaginations. And before she reads the passage, I'm just going to pour a little bit of honey over the text. Um, she's going to lick the slate clean. There we go. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. It's only a little bit. No, it's only a little bit. It's good for you. Um, medicinal properties. So do you want to just lick, lick the slate clean? There we go. Come on. Yes, there we go. You can double dip back in. Yep. Amazing. How did that feel? It's yeah, it's good, honey. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's read the text then. Okay. And he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and tasted it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Amazing. Round of applause to Kes. Thank you so much. So day one of primary school, bets are fair. You're off to a cracking start. You're just licking the honey clean. Um, and, and then you begin to immerse yourself in the stories of the Torah. Now, the first five books of the Bible, there's some epic stories um, in those first five books. It starts with the story of Eden, Adam and Eve. And then you've got the story of Cain killing his brother Abel. Then you've got the story of Noah and this flood that destroys the earth. And then there's a new start through Noah's family. Then you've got the story of Babel, humanity trying to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. Then you've got the story of Abraham getting ready to sacrifice his own son Isaac before God steps in. Then you've got the story of Isaac. Then you've got the story of Jacob and Jacob's sons. And then you've got go, 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 Joe, as if you know what they say. People don't know their musical? You left me hanging then in a serious way. That's no way to treat a pastor. I I gave my heart and soul to that, and you just left me stranded. Um, So you've got the story of Joseph. They end up in Egypt, um, and then you have a climactic moment as God raises up Moses and this liberation journey out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. So many incredible stories, and these young kids... You know, they're learning these stories, they're digesting these stories, these stories that are forming them feel like, you know, honey on the lips. Stories have an amazing way of getting under the skin. When you tell stories again and again, people are captivated. It like fires up the mind, it grabs the heart, you're drawn right in. Like if I take you back eight or nine years, um, we had a, um, our first child, Benj, um, when he was one or so, he got really into this story. And every night before bed, it's like, Dad, Dad, can we have that story? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, all right. So I'd read the story, and the next night, can we have that, that story? And I'd be like, oh, I'm a little bit bored of that story. Can we do another story? No, 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 I want that story. Um, and probably for a six-month period, that same story read two or three times a week. I was done with that story, but Benj loved the story. And now eight or nine years on, when I'm walking around London, if I get really bored, suddenly this thought just comes into my mind. And it goes something like this. The Gruffalo said that no Gruffalo should ever set foot in the deep, dark world. Why not? Why not? Because if you do, the big bad mouse will be after you. I met him once, said the Gruffalo. I met him a long, long time ago. What does he look like? Tell us, Dad. Is he terribly big, terribly bad? I can't quite remember, the Gruffalo said. And then he thought for a minute and scratched his head. The big bad mouse is terribly strong. And his scaly tail is terribly long. His eyes are like pools of terrible fire. And his terrible whiskers are tougher than wire. Ah! That's all I can remember. (laughs) 
That's a six-month period, right? Two or three times a week, the same story. Imagine every single day of your life. This is what the Jewish community would do. They'd open up the scriptures. It would feel like honey on their lips. And they would meditate. And they would memorize. They would devour these stories until these stories got into the most inmost parts and began to shape and form them as a people. Imagine that. Now listen to some of these texts from the Jewish community. Joshua 1, chapter 8. Um, keep this book of the law always on your lips. You know, and, and they would probably call to mind that tradition. You know, Bet's Affair Primary School. Yeah, I remember the taste. I remember the taste. Keep it always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Listen to this, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. Like if you're in that place of like, how can I live a prosperous life, a life of abundance, a life of deep peace, a deep joy? And the answer is like, feed on scripture, meditate on it day and night. Then you'll be like this tree, planted by streams of living water, always prosperous. Listen to these words. Jeremiah said to God, when your words came, I love this. He didn't say, I read them. When your words came, I listened attentively. No, he says, when your words came, I ate them. I I ate them. I devoured them. Why? They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Like we've been given the word of God. Like the invitation isn't just to listen to it. Isn't just to read it. It's actually to devour it. And when you devour it, you'll realize this tastes like honey on my lips. This leads me to a prosperous life, a life of abundance. Here's here's a spiritual law that what goes in must come out. It's a little bit like gravity. You know, what goes up must come down. The spiritual equivalent is what goes in must come out. So every so often it's worth just exploring your life and the output of your life. Um, And if you look at this kind of moment of of time, sociologists are referring to this moment as the age of anxiety. So whatever the inputs are, the output is serious anxiety. The question isn't, are you anxious anymore? The question is, how anxious are you? Like, is it manageable anxiety or debilitating anxiety? Like, it's an epidemic. An epidemic of our time. Like we've got three kids, Ben's, Josh, and Olive. Um, from a very young, young age, this is what parents are doing now. They're trying to teach their kids like tools to help them manage anxiety. Like you see the kids going to school and tests from a young age and significant pressure, and the teachers are stressed, and people are going through life in London at such a pace. The anxiety levels are constantly rising. When I was like six, seven, eight years old, I don't remember that level of anxiety. But for kids these days, it's, it's normal learning to manage anxiety. For most of us, we wake up. Um, what's the first thing we do when we wake up? First thing, there we go, we grab the phone. We grab the phone. And, and what's the, the first thing you check? It, it might be your text messages. It might be your social media feed, like what's happening in the world. And it's, it's genuinely an e- echo chamber. Um, so it's just like 
what you're expecting, but then there'll be something like big, like, oh, he said what? She did what? And then you'll go onto your news feed, BBC News, Guardian News, whatever it is for you, and to grab your attention, the, the sort of like, the strap line will be catastrophizing whatever event it has been, and it will grab you in, and anxiety levels will begin to rise. You're sitting in your pajamas at this point, right? Um, so you're already feeling anxious, you're running a bit late, you, you grab your clothes, you make your way to work, you're on the train, it's stressful, there's hundreds of people all around you, you get to work, you open your emails, like you're already behind, you're feeling stressed and it just keeps on going, it keeps on going. So much so that in a city like this, at best we're managing anxiety and for many of us we're not even managing. It's beginning to feel debilitating. Like are any of you asking the question of like, what am I actually feeding my body and my soul to create this kind of output? Do I want to spend the rest of my life just managing anxiety? What goes in must come out. So what is going in? Psalm 127, um, the psalmist says in verse 1, a famous verse, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. A paraphrase of that would be find out what God's building and get on board because doing something on your own is going to be exhausting. Like if you're building what God is building, he will strengthen you for the journey. If you're just doing stuff in your own strength, you're going to get totally exhausted. And then it goes on to say in verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early. Like waking up really early, news feed, social media, emails, like messages, WhatsApp, like adrenaline pumping already, anxiety beginning to stir. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Do you know what God wants to give you? It's deep rest. Jesus said that there was a certain way of living out the scriptures. He said his yoke was easy and his burden, his, his way of carrying this kind of lifestyle, it would be light. It, it would feel there'd be an ease to it, right? And whatever we're doing where it feels like there's burdens that we can't carry and we're feeding on this bread of anxious toil. And basically the psalm says, no, no, what he wants to give you is deep rest, that you sleep deeply. For some people, they, they can't even sleep now. They're so anxious. Like, is there a better food supply? Is there a better food supply than the bread of anxious toil? The answer is yes. So Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is a passage that Jesus quotes. Um, the story is they've been liberated from Egypt. This is the Jewish community. They're journeying towards the promised land, this place of abundance, this place of prosperity. Um, they're on the journey and God says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promises an oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And that's the bit that Jesus quotes in the temptation stories of the gospels, the enemies like going after him with these different temptations. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's written. Man shall not live in bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Like it's pointing back to this story where the, the Lord led them through a wilderness moment to the point where they began to hunger for bread that genuinely satisfies. 
Like they were feeding on the bread of anxious toil, trying to make stuff happen in their own strength. They started worshipping idols, golden calves. They started making plans. Like, let's just go back to Egypt. Like, we were beaten, we were oppressed, but at least there was food. Like, let's go back to slavery. They start snacking on the bread of anxious toil. God led them to a point where they were so hungry that they looked upwards and said, like, God, would you break in? And then manna, like bread from heaven, fell upon them and sustained them on the, the journey. Like, what I'm sensing stirring at KXE, and I sense it's stirring beyond KXE, many other churches that we're connected with, is, is people have been snacking on the bread of anxious toil, been trying to do stuff in their own strength, like working hard, up early, up you know, late, and, and getting to this point of sheer exhaustion where they basically say, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Like, I am tired of snacking on the bread of anxious toil. I'm tired of self-medicating with just more Netflix or a few extra drinks just to take the edge off the anxiety. I'm, I'm tired of these coping mechanisms. I'm hungry for bread that actually satisfies. And people are beginning to turn to the word of God. Like the bread of God, right? This is an amazing moment. I sense it stirring in the church. People are turning back to scripture, which is totally beautiful. Jesus, um, in John chapter 6, he's in a conversation with the, the Pharisees. And they're talking about this manna that God provided from heaven. And Jesus speaks up and says, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, this is a massive statement, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Like, they're basically saying, like, give us this bread, like this bread from heaven, this bread that actually satisfies. Like, we're snacking on the bread of anxious taller. We don't want it anymore. And she says, okay, you want this bread, this bread from above? Well, I'm the bread of life. Like, feast on me and you'll never go hungry again. Feast on me, you'll never be thirsty again. So how do we feast on Jesus? And the historic answer in the church is word and sacrament, right? The, in, in the scriptures, we encounter Christ. Like, John's gospel describes Jesus as the word made flesh. So in scripture, as we devour scripture, we are feasting on Jesus. We encounter Jesus in the text of scripture. If you want to feast on Jesus, every morning open this book and devour it. Secondly, we feast on Jesus through the sacraments as we celebrate. We're going to do this later. His body broken, his blood shed for us. Um, I want to add the spirit. We're charismatics here. So I want to explain the tradition that at the end of every service, we create space where people can come and receive prayer and be prayed for an infilling of the spirit. Like Jesus said in John 14, that I'm going to give you another counselor, one just like me. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is the presence of Jesus when Jesus is bodily absent. In other words, when he ascends to the Father, that's when the Spirit is poured out. So when we open ourselves to the Spirit of God, when we say, come Holy Spirit, we are feasting on the presence of Jesus, waiting for his physical return when he comes again. Like, What difference would it make? If the first word of each day was the voice of God, as you basically made this kind of like decision, like 2020, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to feast on scripture. I'm going to be in a community centered around the sacraments. I'm going to open myself up each day to the spirit of God. I want to feast on the presence of Jesus. He said he's the bread of life and I believe him. Like what if you did that every day? 
So before you were in your social media feed, the news feed, all these stories that trigger anxiety, before you open up your emails, the WhatsApp messages, you feast on Jesus. Do you think that would make a difference? I think it would make an enormous difference to our lives. Um, There are three layers um, to reading scripture. Um, So we want to read it with our minds, like with our minds focusing on Jesus. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we want to read it knowing that as we read it, and we are theologically formed. Like our minds experience a renewal by the Spirit, right? So we want to read it and, and become theologically formed. But reading it for the purposes of just gaining information, that's not enough, right? Theological formation does not equal spiritual formation. Like I've met many people of absolute sound doctrine. Like they believe X, Y, Z, and and they're really interested in understanding the right stuff, but they treat their wife inappropriately, or they're not patient with the kids. And the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, it almost seems absent from their life. Like just having sound doctrine isn't enough. So yes, we want to be theologically formed. We want to go through this renewal of the mind. But more than just information, we want to experience inspiration, right? Um, like 2 Timothy chapter 3, we looked at this last week, where it says all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. That means it carries the breath of God. So when you're reading scripture, you're breathing in the breath of God. And if you've read Genesis chapter 2, you'll know that Adam and Eve became living beings when they received the breath, the ruach, which means spirit. They, they received the breath, the spirit of God, and they became living beings, right? Every time you feast on scripture, you're breathing in the breath of God. You're, you're being inspired. This isn't just a renewal of the mind. It's a transformation of the heart and soul. That's why each day having time in God's word to be intellectually stimulated on the truth of God, but... Just breathing in his presence, it will transform who you are. So we want to read it for information. We want to read it for inspiration. But more than that, we want to read it so that we can incarnate these words and live them out. Incarnate, Greek word, it means in flesh. This is what John's gospel says of Jesus, that he's the word made flesh. In other words, you understand scripture in and through the person of Jesus. You understand the character and nature of God. He's the full revelation of God. You understand God through Jesus. And as we immerse ourselves in this story and intellectually stimulated, but inspired in our whole being, as we live it out, these words take on flesh in our actions. Right, So people in your workplace, they begin to understand and and get a glimpse of the character of God and and the purposes of God. Because the word of God is made flesh as you live it out in the world. We want to read it for information because we're hungry for truth about the character, nature and purposes of God. We want to be inspired, heart and soul, but we want to incarnate these words. We want the world to know what God is like. We want them to taste his goodness. And they might taste his goodness as you live out these truths in the world. This is how we're to engage in scripture. So how do we read it with our mind, with our heart and soul so that we're ready to live it out? Are you ready to join me on a journey of of how we can devour scripture? Oh, tough crowd, tough crowd. He left me hanging again. Um, So here's the journey. Um, A simple book. 
um, of how to read the scripture um, for the purposes of information, inspiration, incarnation is this book by Wayne Cordero called The Divine Mentor, how we can be mentored by scripture. And he really explores this um, way of reading the Bible called Lectio Divina, divine reading of scripture. It's not just a quick read, you know, stimulate the mind and then close the book, off to work. No, a, a way of actually encountering God in scripture being formed day in, day out. So what we're going to do in 2020 as a whole church community at KXC, three congregations, um, we're going to read through the New Testament in a year all together. Like the idea that we all have our own sort of way of reading scripture or not reading scripture, uh, our own individual pathways, and some are doing Nicky Gumbel's Bible in a year, and some are like, oh, I love Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, and, and others, I'm just working my way through the Psalms like one a year, it feels great. And, and others have their own way of, of reading scripture. That's such a modern way of reading the Bible. It speaks of Western individualism, right? This book was, was made um, for communal reading that we would read it together, we'd grapple with it together. So we're going to have the same readings as a whole community every single day. The same questions will be raised and we can grapple with it together. Um, So that's going to be a really fun journey for 2020. But I want to introduce you to a way of reading the scripture. Um, And I'm using an acronym that came to me when I was on my retreat day. I was walking around some fields praying, sort of like preparing for this talk. And this acronym came to mind. And for the last few days since the retreat, I've been feeling great about it. I'm just so excited that I came up with an original thought. If you don't like it, please don't tell me afterwards. I'm not interested. Um, So this is what we're going to do. The Lord's Prayer. Um, Give us this day our daily bread. Um, So the acronym is BREAD, right? Um, Trust me, you're going to love it. Just Don't push back, just embrace it. Um, So bread, and we're just going to walk through it. And then for 2020, every single day, we're going to use this as a pathway of devouring Scripture, being formed by Scripture, theologically, spiritually, so that we can be agents of cultural renewal around us. Um, So it starts, be still. It's about stilling ourselves so that we can read the text, so that we can encounter Christ in the text. We're not just reading it for information. We want an encounter with the living God, the risen Jesus in the text. Then we're going to ask the question of how do we apply it this day? And then a simple prayer of devotion, devoting that day and ourselves to God. Um, So the first part of the process is be still. And for some of us, this will be the hardest bit of the journey, right? So my encouragement, you do this whenever you want to do it. Some of you are just more focused at nighttime. Um, But I'm guessing for a lot of us, it will be first thing in the morning. I think that's an amazing discipline that the first voice you hear isn't the news feed or your social media feed. The first voice you hear is the voice of God in Scripture. So you wake up and you be still. Here's three simple steps. Find a place where you're going to encounter God. There might be a chair in your living room that is just a really comfy chair. It might be the end of your bed or a chair with the view out into the garden. A special place that is going to become your place of meeting, your place of encounter. If you go there every single day, you're creating a rhythm, creating a habit, and it will become a holy place, right? So choose a place where you're going to go day in, day out and create a new habit. It says of Jesus um, that he went to a solitary place. Again and again in the Gospels, you'll read the Gospels. It's like, okay, he goes to a solitary place. And now he's going back to a solitary place. Now, he was traveling around, so there's probably lots of places he went to. But my hunch is there were certain spots that became like places of encounter with the Father. And he kept going back to the solitary place for an encounter. So what could that place be for you? Secondly, ask God to fill that place, to fill that chair. 
for that chair to become a holy chair, right? We talk about holy people, God filling his people. We, as believers, being a temple of the Holy Spirit. But we also believe in holy places, right? So the story of Pentecost, it's interesting that before God fills the people, he fills the place. Like he's interested in places. He's interested in, in places of encounter. So when you found your spot that you're going to go to day in, day out, why don't you pray a simple prayer, prayer, Lord, may this become a holy spot, a place of encounter. Um, and then step number three, quiet yourself. Just quiet yourself. So sit down in that chair And here's what I've been doing as I've been trying to engage in this practice. Just for a minute or so, before you crack on with the reading, you start to still yourself. Listen to this from Psalm 131. I've calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. So how do you get to this place of stillness so that you can soak in the presence of God? Well, here's one idea. What if you start by focusing on your breathing? And you just... Deep breath in. And as you breathe in, this is what I try and do. I just say, come Holy Spirit. And then I breathe out anxiety, burdens, distractions, the to-do list. Just give all of that stuff to you. Come Holy Spirit. Just give all the other stuff to you. And I do that for about a minute. You know, when you're battling with anxiety, you tend to revert to shallow breathing. And when there's shallow breathing, you take in less oxygen and there's less oxygen to the brain, which exacerbates anxiety. So if you just want to break that cycle, just start focusing on your breathing. And you don't need to freak out that, is this Buddhism? Is this kind of some sort of new age spirituality nonsense? Like Christians and Jewish believers have been doing this for centuries and centuries. It goes back to the beginning of our story where we breathed in the breath of God and became living beings. Like That's how this story began. So we're just doing something sort of like practical, physical to remind us of we came alive through the breath of God. So God, if you want to bring me more life today, come Holy Spirit and then breathe out. Right? Really, really simple. Like mindfulness is like everyone's like buzzing about mindfulness, right? As if we've discovered this new thing. Like Christians have been doing it for centuries. And just to sort of like give you a spin on Christian mindfulness compared to other forms of mindfulness. The end goal of this moment isn't emptiness. That is Buddhism. The end goal is that we're filled with the presence of Jesus. So the end goal isn't being empty. It's being full. Secondly, the end goal isn't awareness of self. Of like after this, I feel so aware of myself. I'm just awesome. I just feel so aware of me. Um, the end goal isn't awareness of self. The end goal is awareness of Jesus, right? Now, on the journey towards the awareness of Jesus, you'll be confronted by self. And that will be painful at times and beautiful at times. But the point is that we move beyond self into the presence of Jesus. So I would say it's one or two minutes of breathing, just being still. Now, just a quick note for the the kinetic learners. Um, There's something that spiritual writers talk about called kinetic centering, which is finding stillness through movement. Some of you are listening to me like talk about sitting down, breathing. You're freaking out. You're feeling anxious. I can't do that. Five minutes in a chair being still, as if, um, because you learn through movement. Now, kinetic centering is this idea of if that's you, you're going to find more stillness going for a walk. And as you sort of engage the body, you're going to burn off some adrenaline. You're going to achieve this place of like mental sharpness. And that's when you begin breathing like, welcome, Holy Spirit, welcome, Holy Spirit. So if you're not the sit down, chill out kind of person, go for a walk. But my encouragement is go for the same walk every single day. 
So you're not focused on where you're walking. You're actually focused on being in the presence of Jesus. So the first task is be still. Second thing is to read, but read slowly. Um, we tend to read fast. So our parents' generation, this kind of speaks of the anxiety, everything being a rush. Um, they stumbled across speed reading. Um, and our parents' generation were really excited by these techniques to enable them to speed read. I don't have time to read anymore, so I'm going to speed read. Um, and I'm just going to sort of get a vague idea of the narrative, and I'm just going to do it really, really fast, and I can make way, my way through loads of text. And they began to speed read, right? Our generation, we don't even know how to speed read. Because we've got Google, we don't need to speed read. So what we do is we find the book where there's something in it that interests us. We do a word search, like trying to find the theme or the quote that we've heard. We find the little book in the chapter, and then we read like a page at best probably. Get what we want, extract it, and then we carry on with life. So we actually just mine books for information. We don't read the books. So it's beyond speed reading. It's actually just sacking off most of the reading and just finding bits of information. Um, We don't want to use scripture like that, right? Just using it for our own purposes to just find bits that we want. We actually want to submit ourselves to scripture so that we're going to read it. And we're going to read it slowly. And reading it slowly is going to slow you down because that's what you need. Um, so we're going to read a passage together. We're going to try and do an exercise um, to, to sort of highlight what this journey, this bread um, journey looks like. So if you can read the screen, mum and dad, this is probably going to be beyond you. Um, but for those with, with really great eyesight, if you want to look at the screen and we're going to read it together fairly slowly. Um, and we're just going to take it in. So are you ready? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay, so this would be my encouragement. You read it once and then you read it a second time slowly. 
And during the second time through, you're looking for one verse to leap out from the text, and that will be your place of encounter. So you basically pray, Lord, may you just, one verse, may you just begin to sort of draw me into conversation. And as you read through a second time, you'll notice a verse begins to jump out, and it might almost comfort something within you or spark a creative idea or intrigue you and you just feel drawn in and go with that like this one verse and then you write down the one verse and then you begin to chew on it like meditate lord what are you saying through this one verse so on wednesday on my retreat day this is what i did with the exercise the one verse for me was this the sun rises at one end of the heavens makes its circuit to the other nothing is deprived of its warmth I mean, I did love the verse about the sun breaking out of the bedchamber like a bridegroom. I mean, that was fun. I did like that. Um, and the champion getting ready for the race. But, but this image of the sun rising, one end of the heavens, making its circuit every single day without fail to the other. And no inch of creation is deprived of its warmth. And then for a minute, I'm just, minute, I'm just chewing on that. I'm like, wow, what an amazing thought. Every day the sun rises. And this is the point that the creation points um, to the glory of God, reveals something of the glory of God. So when we see the sun rise, like no part of creation is deprived of it, its warmth. Everything experiences the warmth of the sun. I was like, Lord, may that be the case for me. Like I want to experience something of the warmth of heaven in this moment. So I'm walking around because this part I, I do best when I'm walking. Walking around saying, Lord, Lord, saturate me with the warmth from heaven, right? And then I begin to write a little note, a reflection on the verse. This is what I wrote. The glory of God is revealed in the sun, our source of light. But Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In him, the people walking in darkness saw a great light. This is a promise that no one need be deprived of his warmth. So step out of the shadows into the light and be drenched in both the warmth and color of his love. Can you see this is beyond just sort of an intellectual exercise where I'm sort of like doing theology. I'm actually soaking in the love of God, experiencing the warmth of the sun, the risen sun, Jesus Christ himself. I'm being drawn into the text and having an encounter. Um, Once I've been chewing on that, the encounter stage for a while, I then move towards application. Lord, how do I live out this text? And I write again a simple um, phrase explaining what application might look like for this day. This is what I wrote on Wednesday. What does it look like to step outside of the shadows? In other words, to come out of hiding. It means to come towards Jesus, the light, and enjoy his warmth. To enjoy the beauty of his creation. Walk in green spaces, kick some leaves, and pause every so often to spiritually turn your gaze heavenwards. To thank God for his beauty and connect to the love that gave birth to such beauty. Allow that love to permeate your inner being. So I'm on a retreat day, so I've got space to walk. So I I quite literally do that. I walk around, I kick some leaves, I look upwards, I'm like, thank you, God, for this beauty. And it tells me that you want to fill me with your warmth, so I'm opening myself to your love again. Permeate my heart with your love. And then I close the devotion with this um, simple prayer, devoting the day to God. Father, I devote this day to you. Invade my heart with the warmth of your son. Amen. That's probably 20 minutes of your time. Do you think if you took a portion of scripture every single day and just took 20 minutes of your precious time to feed on scripture, do you think it would shape you? I'm telling you it would shape you. 
it would theologically form you, it would spiritually form you, and you'd be an agent of cultural formation in the world around you, right? We said last week that when you've got the word of God and the spirit of God, this is our creation story, you've got the spirit hovering over the waters, you've got God speaking, let there be light, there's an explosion of life, an explosion of light. Every morning as we chew on the word of God, you've got the word, you've got the spirit, there will be an explosion of life. It's a tragedy that we spend a lot of our days and don't even open up the scriptures when there's a guarantee of life to be found as we chew on the word of God. So once you've done that, I just put it in a kind of form that would look like a piece of paper. Now imagine 2020 as we do this as a church. It's a leap year, by the way. It's exciting, isn't it? So 366 days of devotions. Every single day there'll be a portion of New Testament reading and it will be be, be still. Read the text slowly. Encounter, find the one verse, chew on it, write a short reflection, not an essay. Apply, how are you going to live it out today? Devote the day to God and then crack on, right? But what a way to start your day. So this is the challenge um, for the next year. This is the plan off the back of this series about scripture. It's not just sort of like ideas that we want to sort of like brain dump upon you. We want to invite the whole church, three congregations, into a reading plan where together we read through the New Testament. Maybe next year we'll do the whole of the scripture, but for 2020 we want to just do the New Testament. So it's a fairly short amount, small amount of text each day, probably one chapter a day. But then you're zooming in just to find that one verse and in that verse a place of encounter um, a point of application and then we devote ourselves to God Um, we're going to be doing the bible project reading plan Um, for those that like online apps go to our website kxc.org.uk all the information of how you download the uversion bible app how you sign up to a certain plan of reading it together we're also in the the process of designing a book Hannah um, who was up here earlier is helping me design a book with 366 days with bread on every single page and you're going to love it Um, and then you can use that as a devotional manual so every day be still read the text slowly place of encounter application devote the day to God we're going to do it every single day Um, do you think it could make a difference like there's 600 of us average attendance Sunday by Sunday. There's probably around 1,000 people in this community that will call Kexi home. Could you imagine the difference? 1,000 people chewing on scripture every single day. Do you know what we'd become like? We'd become like a tree planted by a stream of living water, bearing its fruit in every single season. Like do you know what people long for? They long for shade. They long for a tree that's fruitful, where they can come and they can experience life. We could be that if we were devouring scripture. There is a better pathway than eating the bread of anxious toil and coming out the other side chronically anxious, trying to speak good news to the world, but really anxious ourselves. What would it look like if we were operating from deep rest and joy, feasting on Jesus himself and offering Jesus to the world? It would be a game changer. I would love it if at the end of 2020, having read the whole scripture together, we could say like Jeremiah, you know, when your words came, like when I grabbed hold of this book, I didn't just read it. I just did more than listen to the words. (laughs) That's eating it, by the way. I ate it. I ate it. And in eating it, I experienced joy and my heart experienced delight. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Here's the simple invitation. Eat the book. Eat the book. Like the prayer, give us this day daily bread. God has answered that prayer in providing truth 
that can feed us and sustain us. Let's open up the scripture, devour it, and be on a journey of seeing transformation in this amazing city.